Welcome to On the Line, a podcast for tennis players, coaches, and fans. I'm your host, Jenny Robb. Today on the line, we have Kevin Theos, first vice president of USPTA Southern and USTA tennis service representative for Alabama. Kevin, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Jenny. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit about uh, just your, your tennis journey in general. Now, you're, you're from Chicago originally, right? That's right. And then, so how did, how did you find your way to the South? <laughs> well, uh, I started playing tennis uh, when I was in middle school. I played at a local park. Actually, it was at Gompers Park where Andrea Yeager, who had started playing tennis a few years before I did, uh, where she actually played. Um, and I, enjoy, I fell in love with the sport, played in high school, played in college um, at Illinois State uh, and at El- Northeastern Illinois University. Um, taught tennis uh, after college for a while. Then I was out of tennis. I actually became an attorney and practiced law. And then uh, my wife, I met during that time, and she brought me down to Birmingham where she had a chance to start a, a practice here. So, Wow. So, so there's sort of a lot to unpack there as far as you were an attorney first. So how did you go from being attorney to uh, the tennis industry? Well, you know, and it's sort of a sandwich. I started out teaching tennis after college. I taught in a variety of locations, parks. Uh, I went into schools. I worked in private clubs. But then I decided that I wanted to go and do a different direction. And, um, you know, I ended up practicing law. And then after that, as we ended up in Birmingham, Alabama, there was a community tennis association looking for an executive director. And I thought it would be a terrific opportunity to take over a small organization and see what I could do to uh, help kids with edu- education and get them playing tennis. And so I started with that, and here we are. <laughs> well, we're certainly uh, fortunate that you did. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you did. Now, did you play other sports as well growing up, or was it mainly just tennis? Um, what, what was your sporting history like? So I played a lot of sports, with, of course, with all the other kids in the neighborhood, but my first love was baseball. I played baseball up until I was about 14 years old, and of course, that's around the time I started playing tennis and, and fell in love with tennis, but baseball was my first love growing up. Excellent. So when, when you made the transition to, to tennis, sort of taking on more of a focus, um, what was that like? What, what was that? How did that change evolve? Well, I really enjoyed being able to you know, develop my skills. I noticed that I was, I was decent at tennis uh, right away, I guess, because I'd played baseball and some other sports. And I really, really just enjoyed seeing those skills develop. And, um, so I started to spend more time playing tennis and uh, with the older players at the public courts and getting some tips from them. Some of the tips were not so good, but uh, they, they were well-intentioned anyway, and uh, I just wanted to play as much as possible. So with, with your start sort of on, on those public courts and, and the parks, um, d- does this play into sort of your, your passion for grassroots tennis and what you're doing now? Absolutely. I, having the opportunity to meet people from all different backgrounds at the public courts. There were players who were from different countries and uh, just all different ages and ability levels. I'd love to see families out there play and uh, I just really see tennis as a family sport. It's a sport for, for anyone who's willing to get out there and, and work at it. And um, so yeah, I just love, try to share my love of tennis with other people. And, and you mentioned family tennis, and your whole family plays. Your wife plays, your daughters play, you play. Um, what, is that, what does that mean to you for family tennis? It's just tremendous for me. My, the fact that we're all playing tennis, you know, my girls, I was not going to uh, force them to play when they were very, very young. We got out there and played a little bit, but eventually they decided they wanted to play a little bit more. They played on their school teams and middle school and high school, and it's just there's no more fun experience that I have than going out and playing tennis with my kids and wife. Uh, that is that is truly a beautiful thing and something that I hope um, you know can grow and continue to to become more practiced. You know, in our neighborhoods. You know, we, I briefly lived in Atlanta, and one of the coolest things about it. Um, was that there were there were neighborhood courts um every neighborhood seemed to have a tennis center and I, I just thought that 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 was really cool that it made it so accessible that it wasn't 
you know, confined to a country club or, or not that there's anything wrong with that. Certainly they're very nice clubs, but I loved the accessibility of neighborhood tennis courts. I agree, you know, in growing up, uh, you know, in Chicago, and I know that other places, even Birmingham, at one time, there were a number of locations where you could just go and find people to play tennis with at, you know, evenings and weekends. It's not as much that way anymore, but I just think that that, in fact, I think that that's one of the uh, successes of pickleball, that people know places when they can, where they can go and when they can go and just find people to play with, with a very low commitment. And um, so I, I think that could be very beneficial in tennis once again. And, and there, I know just, just from the USDA standpoint, I know there's probably plenty of other programs that I just am unaware of, but, but I know that there's um, an initiative going on right now called Family Tennis Nights. Um, and I, I think it's pretty cool that it's, it's what we're talking about. I mean, I remember growing up, um, you know, I had a kind of a sports family. My older brother played every sport there was, and so did I. And we lived in this uh, little cul-de-sac um, in Birmingham, and my dad would, would, you know, throw us, you know, we'd play pitch, we'd, you know, play wiffle ball, and he'd, he'd take a tennis racket and a tennis ball, and we called it moon balls, and he'd hit the ball as high as he could in the air, and we would just, you know, scurry around trying to catch it. And, you know, so it's like I think a little bit of that has maybe gotten lost somehow, and so maybe these family tennis nights are trying to bring back just just play. <laughs> That's my hope. I'm excited about the family tennis nights, really anything involving family tennis. One thing that I am especially excited about within USTA Southern is that there is a real emphasis on trying to get some families that do not currently play tennis to go out there and play. We've had different promotions in the past where, um, you know, tennis carnivals and that sort of thing, tennis block parties where we had existing tennis players go out and they would play together. And that's terrific. I, I'm a fan of that as well. But this is really an opportunity to get some other families, newer families out there enjoying the sport together right from the outset. And I love, too, how the modified format um, sort of allows for fun and success kind of immediately. I mean, we're an instant gratification society. And so, you know, the idea of if you go out with a can of three balls and you spend more time chasing the ball than actually hitting it, that, that's not very much fun. So I love that uh, there are some modified formats that, that allow for a little more more fun. <laughs> yeah, the fun part in tennis is rallying and walking around picking up tennis balls is not <clears throat> so enjoyable. Many of us have had the experience of seeing beginner level players go out there and they're excited for the first few minutes. And then, especially if it's a, on a hot summer day, they start getting a little aggravated with one another and uh, getting a little snippy, picking up the balls, and, and it doesn't go so well. But I've had the experience of actually giving some of those folks low compression balls, and their experience changes entirely, and they start laughing and, and just having a better time. I, I just I, I think that we can't say enough about what you know modifying the equipment has been able to do to reach more people and, and increase the enjoyment of our great sport. Um, so, Kevin, you've done so much um, personally and professionally and, and with your family. Um, do you have a favorite tennis memory? Actually, I do. So well, I was playing doubles in college. Um, this was actually when I was at Northeastern Illinois University when they used to have a, a program. And uh, we were NAIA, and we were playing to go to, the, uh, go to Mobile, actually, for the NAIA championships. And... <clears throat> I had played very, very well. It was the best doubles match maybe that I had ever played up to that point. And uh, there were a whole bunch of other teams had finished their matches that day and they'd all stuck around to watch our match against the number one seeds. And um, I don't you know, necessarily serve with a lot of power, but I was serving very well that day. And this one particular game, I served three aces. <laughs> and I just remember our team, like the third ace I hit, the team just went nuts. And, <laughs> Uh, we ended up winning that game, and uh, it was just a tremendous tennis experience. I'll never forget it. <laughs> that, that's, I, I think I would, I would feel 10 feet tall if I hit three aces and the team was cheering. That, that sounds like an awesome memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, so taking, in, taking that in a little bit of a different direction, again, you have you know, sort of a, a gamut, a, a whole spectrum of, of experience. Um, what would you consider your proudest achievement? My proudest achievement? Well, so far, I mean, I have um, 
two beautiful daughters and they are they're doing well in school and really getting them to where they are right now and seeing them grow up to be you know fine young women i that is the proudest achievement so far i mean it's still a work in progress but that's really the the most important thing to me and um you know the thing i'm most proud of right now uh that's that is um that's a beautiful story and it's so meaningful to to Remember that as much as we care about what we do in our professional lives, you know, that, that really those personal relationships and many carry over into the profession, of course, of tennis, but those are, those are what's important. Um, you know, it was funny, Kevin, you were here. My dad uh, came and helped me hang a picture in my office today. You know, he's, he is uh, still my hero um, now as an adult, but it <laughs> always has been. <laughs> so I'm sure your girls are, are thankful um, to have a, a great father like you. So that's, um, that's just an encouraging, encouraging sentiment there. Um, going back to, to playing or coaching, uh, were you superstitious or did you have certain rituals that you would do when you played? I'd like to take my time between points. I, I know that we, you know, have a limited number, uh, amount of seconds between the points, but I will generally towel off every single point. It, it, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody just aced me. Um, I will towel. I, I will take a moment to go to the fence and just collect myself before the next point. And it kind of gets me on a, a pattern of, uh, you know, just being consistent between points. So that's something I do, but I don't, I, I know that there are players who have a lot of superstitions and <laughs> I, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself to be in that group. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not all that superstitious either, but certainly had uh, plenty of rituals of my own. Um, when, what is something you recommend? Because now in your role, you really go and you travel a lot and help other coaches um, refine their programs and add things to their programs. What's something that you would advise people to do um, or coaches to do in every practice? Well, if you're talking about... One thing that I like is when I go to a facility and I'm waiting to meet with a director and I get a chance to observe their lessons is just the amount of energy. And I recognize, because I've taught tennis myself, that over the course of a long day, particularly in the heat, it, it can be very uh, tiring. But when I see a coach who is energetic, even at the end of the day, and really giving that, that enthusiasm and attention to the students, uh, that's something that really, really sticks out to me. Um, in terms of junior programs, one thing that I like to see is, of course, look, we talked about them uh, playing more rather than picking up balls mm -hmm. and using modified yep. equipment. Yep. And to the extent that they can get some parents involved out there, I know a lot of coaches are not enthusiastic about parental involvement, but particularly at the entry level, if they can get the parents playing a little bit with the kids, I mean, that's something I think that uh, they might go out and do on their own. And it could be very, very uh, beneficial to their you know, overall tennis experience. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more on that point. Um, you spoke about uh, doubles um, earlier. If you could pick any doubles partner in the world, men's doubles, mixed doubles, whatever it would be, who, who would you choose? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, of course, you have to say that I'd choose my spouse. That would be number one. <laughs> but outside, hey, Amy. outside, outside <laughs> of uh, choosing Amy, you know, a couple of years ago, we had a PowerShares uh, senior event. And I had the opportunity to be on court uh, with John McEnroe. He was uh, doing a clinic w with some other players. And it was just so amazing to watch his volleys and just how effortless everything was. It, it would be a lot of fun to be able to play tennis with John McEnroe. I, I, I got to tell you, I remember that event. And I... I, I I just remember being just just really amazed. I mean, we, we kind of throw these uh, words around like awesome and amazed and these things, but it, it truly was. This this was a different level for me to see somebody with with that level of um, of uh, not only just talent. Obviously, there's talent involved there, but clearly there's always hard work when you get to the level that he got to, and and the fact that he's still. It's so precise and crisp and, and, and still doing that is just, um, I mean, it's, it's really pretty amazing. That, I, I, that was a fun, that was a fun event for sure. Um, so how would you, how would you say, um, and you've, you've gotten, you have a unique perspective on this, Kevin, but, um, you know, 
the industry is evolving and has been evolving. It's always evolving. Um, how would you say your personal coaching style has evolved and what do you see happening, um, good or bad? Maybe that's a loaded question, uh, but uh, in the industry. Well, my coaching has evolved by <clears throat> using low compression balls and the modified equipment. I mean, it was something that when I was the executive director of the Community Tennis Association, we had, you know, I first found the foam balls and I just really, really enjoyed using that in order to keep everybody active. So that's something that is very different than uh, when I was teaching tennis full time, that it was more of the traditional lesson with players st spending a lot of time standing in line, even the juniors. And now it's really more about keeping people active. Now, you, you, um, you have done some research that, that I find pretty fascinating. We've had multiple conversations about this. Um, but you actually tracked how many times players would hit the ball during the time of practice. Maybe that wasn't the right way to say it. But, but you were tracking... Uh, how, how would you say that? Uh, strikes during time? I mean, you tracked this. Uh, on occasion, when I'm at a tennis facility, I will, uh, and I see a lesson going on, I'll pick out a player, and over the course of, say, 15 minutes, I will count how many balls that player actually hits. And in some cases, it's very, very good. I mean, they're hitting a lot of balls, but in a lot of cases, it's not. They spend a lot of time standing in line. I've seen it in 15 minutes where a player would hit 15 to 20 balls. And so that's not a whole lot of tennis balls for them to hit during the course of an hour. And they're probably not going to improve their skills very quickly. Now, so now for those um, people that may be listening that don't necessarily know what that time ratio to ball hitting is, what would in a in a tennis match or a rally what what's the discrepancy there between standing in line and hitting one ball in however many minutes versus you're actually playing tennis well if you're obviously if you're standing in line you're not getting very you're not getting any reps and if you're actually playing you're getting a whole lot of reps i mean tennis it comes down to sending a ball and receiving a ball and each one of those is sort of a skill set, and you you just need a lot. You need instruction. Don't get me wrong, in coaching and, and everything, but uh, you need a lot of repetition as well. And when you're just standing in a line, you can't. It, look, it's not unavoidable. I mean, you cannot have every lesson. You're never going to have a point where no one will ever stand in a line. That they're <laughs> right, going to be playing 100 percent sure. <laughs> of the time. But I think more reps is better than fewer reps. Sure. Um, now. What um what call what qualities sorry what qualities make a great coach? I think a great coach is able to they know the fundamentals and they and they can teach those fundamentals but even more than that I think a great coach and there are a lot of outstanding coaches that know how to say teach the fundamentals and it doesn't have to be tennis it could be anything but I think the great coaches are able to motivate their players to perform their best when they need to. I've seen coaches in other sports. I, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm a fan of baseball, and I've seen coaches in baseball that, uh, you know, maybe they a team makes it to the World Series or they do very, very well, and just for whatever reason, the players cannot quite get to that. Um, they're not motivated or the coach doesn't know the right things to say. Meanwhile, I've seen say tennis coaches who are maybe not as strong on the you know, technical elements, but they're able to motivate their players to perform their very best. And I, I think that's the, you know, the most important thing. I think that's such a good point. I um, just uh, personally, I remember watching, um, and I don't even remember what year this Olympics was, but I was young. <laughs> but uh, uh, Carrie Strug, I think everybody that, that, that watched this will remember this Carrie Strug. And, and, you know, she hurt herself on her first run at the vault and, you know, the ankle injury and the win is on the line for American gymnastics at the Olympics. And uh, she looks over at her coach, um, at Bella Carosi, and I probably butchered that name, sorry. But, you know, and, and, and he didn't really, you know, offer up any technical instruction or any, any you know, anything groundbreaking. But he just kind of looked at her and, and said, you know, you know, you've got this. I believe in you. 
and and she ran out there and, and landed the vault on one leg and he carried her off the court in the dramatic moment and USA wins the Olympics, you know, and I, I just, I, I, I have this, this, you know, memory um, that is so vivid in my mind of that and thinking, you know, in that moment, you know, there's obviously a bunch of different angles to look at it from the player perspective and, and the grit and all that involved. But from the coach perspective, you know, he just, he just told her he believed in her and just cheered her on. It, it, he didn't really do anything crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, the qualities that make a great coach, um, we could talk forever about that. Um, now, you know, you and I, you and I speak a lot about this, <laughs> but um, I would love to hear your thoughts about um, growing tennis, you know, and, and, and sort of the state of our industry and, and the growth of tennis. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> tennis is a difficult sport, and I think even with the modifications, it takes a little bit of time to you know, develop a, a reasonable amount of skill. But you know, with the modified equipment, people can start to rally right away. <clears throat> I think one blind spot that we've had is, and I've referenced this already, is family tennis. That many of our top players started out playing with their families. They went out there, they would you know, get balls for them, they would just be hanging out uh, at the courts while their family members played and they got pulled into the sport. But for some reason, we really have never reached the point where there are organized family tennis events. Now we have certainly these family tennis nights that we're doing right now, and I think that that is a terrific start. There actually are some programs out there that involve families, but they're, they're few and far between. Uh, I think that the reason for that is there's a tendency to immediately or almost immediately put adults on some courts where they're pushing each other's skills, mm -hmm. which is fine, and then the kids are on separate courts, but mm -hmm. they're never really spending a whole lot of time together playing. And uh, I've observed, because I've created a program that uh, involves families, that when the families are actually able to play together and parents who have never picked up a racket before, once they see their kids improving, they start seeing that as the fun part or a fun part in tennis. And it's not just about other adults uh, pushing their skill level, but it's seeing their own kids develop. And uh, if we can get more families into the sport playing tennis on their own, then uh, maybe in programs as well, I think that we could get a lot more people into the sport because it is a sport for a lifetime. You know, I think there's so much to be said for that. Um, you know, you look at the longevity of things like um, Little League, like, uh, like I mentioned my older brother earlier and my dad um, coached all his teams all the way from, you know, the, the <laughs> machine pitch to, you know, the coach pitch to when the, the kids are actually playing all the way up through competitive ball and school ball and travel ball and all those things you know but the parents are involved you know maybe the mom is packing the cooler with capri suns or apples or whatever's in there sandwiches or something and you know the dads are doing the practices and it's like maybe that has contributed to the longevity of things like little league or rec league soccer or basketball or whatever it may be you know, and, and we, we look at these things now that um, have evolved, even even like races. So people that run marathons, um, I ran a half marathon, and, you know, that's sort of a check in the box that will probably never, ever happen again. Um, but, <laughs> but you look at what they've done to reach out to families, and there's a one-mile fun run or a walk, and they have face painting, and there's things that it's not just that runner that's going to come out and run the marathon. They've reached out to all the other people involved. And I think, you know, you see how an industry like that has evolved. And it's like, how in the world, who thought that, that, that a marathon would reach out to families? You know, somebody had to think outside the box there. <laughs> well, it's a recreational experience. Very few marathoners are ever going to be, uh, you know, world-class level. And so they're going out there, they're spending their time and their money, and this is their recreation, and it needs to be an enjoyable experience. It's not entirely about the competition. I mean, for some people it is, but for most it's just that. It's an experience, and if they can have that experience with other people that they love or that they enjoy spending time with, it matters. And tennis is the same way. 
it, why should somebody play tennis relative to you know going bowling or riding bicycles <laughs> together or something else? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if we have events that are enjoyable for entire families, or we just have to make it into an enjoyable recreational experience. It does not have to be about taking players to that next level uh, always. No, I, I think it's such a good point. And, and uh, again, you know, going back to sort of the, the running culture and the way that it's changed um, over the years that, you know, my, my sister-in-law recently invited me to um, participate in, in a color run. Um, and apparently this is something where you go and you run and three p- people throw... Um, like colored cornstarch on you and <laughs> and and it was just I was like um I don't know if I want to wake up early and go be covered with colored cornstarch but it looks like a lot of fun <laughs> you know so it's like you know we we I think tennis as an industry needs to explore some um you know, other ideas to, to maybe bring other people in. Like I said, I'm not necessarily that person that wants uh, things thrown on me. But, you know, if it's bringing new people in, if it's if it's reaching an audience that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be involved, and if it's something that, um, like I said, this is something I could do with my sister-in-law, you know, if it's something that is bringing people together that otherwise maybe wouldn't be, you know, doing this sport, maybe it's a good thing. I mean, who am I to say? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think Amy and Sophie actually did, my wife and daughter did a color on a few, several years ago. Um, and they had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> One person once said that, you know, what people most want is the experience, an experience of being alive. They want to experience mm-hmm. something. Yep. And to the extent that we have tennis experiences or color runs or other things like that, that people will remember that involves laughter and good conversation and spending time with people that you care about and getting some exercise. All of those are memorable experiences that will stick with people for a long time. And it's the sort of thing that can get them to want to participate more. And, and that's what we need to have positive experiences that you know keep people in the game. They want to continue to have that. I, I, I absolutely agree 100%. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, a fan of social media. I love social media. Um, yeah, I'm aware of the, um, you know, possible pitfalls. I'm not going to say it's all, all bright and rosy all the time, but I do love social media and, and things like the, the color runs or the warrior dash or, or these things that happen. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to maybe say, oh, this is gimmicky. I don't know. I don't know about this, but, but, you know, just like you were saying, Kevin, you're creating memories and these memories are um, great for pictures and they're <laughs> they're great to post on social media and and capture that moment of fun and capture that moment of togetherness and social interaction and and you're getting out and doing something um, so you know I think that you know that 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 shouldn't be lost yeah. well you know there's a coach uh, from Georgia that used to get up at meetings and say you know that he would say that he's a low performance coach <laughs> And this is and this is not necessarily a slight against high performance coaches, or maybe a little bit, but That's uh, but I mean the point he made was that many of the students or most of the paying students are never going to be high level players, mm-hmm. but yet they come back, they get their rackets restrung, they buy new shoes, and they and they take lessons and they really make up the bulk of the revenue and and really for in the tennis industry the play occasions these weekend warriors the ones who are just out there hacking away mm-hmm. and we need millions more of those and uh, and again this is nothing against the high level players but um, really the drivers of the industry are the ones who are going out there and enjoying tennis and having those experiences that are fun enough that they want to have those experiences on a continuing basis you know I, I think it's such an important point too that that we have people out there encouraging this. Um, you know, me, me personally, I might not necessarily, like I said, my, my, my um, sister-in-law called me to do the color run. That's not anything I would have just chosen to do on my own. Um, you know, so I'm thankful that she, you know, invited me to do it and it was something fun for us to do together. Um, you know, so I think it's really important that, that coaches or, or people that have that level of, 
you know, inviting someone or, or creating uh, an invitation to do something um, is so important. And I've, I've, you know, been very fortunate in my in my career, whether it was playing in juniors or college or or coaching or, or now in the USTA world, um, that I have some really great mentors that encouraged me to do things um, and see a bigger picture that that I didn't see. Um, all along the way, and I think that this sort of falls into that category. Um, Kevin, I mean, I, I consider you certainly uh, one of my mentors, but um, who who would you consider mentors of yours? You know, I think that it depends on the context. So within the USPTA, there are people that I have, uh, you know, Pat Whitworth is an example, who's our uh, Southern Executive Director. And he is a wealth of knowledge of USPTA and tennis in general. I consider him to be a mentor within the USTA. I think Bill Phillips, who's been very, very involved with USTA and USPTA for a very long time and in the tennis industry in general. Uh, so it just depends on the, the context. But there are a number of people who I feel like I can talk to about the things that, you know, that they can be helpful with. And, um, and I respect their opinions. Who are some people that maybe encouraged you to start programs? Um, like you, you have a fabulous program, Rocket Tennis, and 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 Rocket Tennis for Families. Were there people that encouraged you to pursue these things, or was it just purely uh, your your own genius? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's a it's strong. I, I think that the within the USTA there have been people who have been very very supportive. Uh, my boss is Bill Ozaki. Uh, he's been supportive of things that can get more people playing tennis and trying out new things. Uh, I'm, I was, am very fortunate to be in Alabama where Elaine Francis, who was the executive director for uh, a very long time, and uh, Jerry Burns, is, they're supportive of getting new programs going. So it really has given me the opportunity to try out some different things. Um, previous to that, when I was with the uh, Birmingham Area Tennis Association, I had a very supportive board. So I've been lucky in a lot of ways to have people who are supportive of trying out different things like rocket tennis and to see where they lead. I think that is just just a statement that can't be, that shouldn't be overlooked. Just Just the fact of having a team of people around you that are supportive, um, that you can bounce ideas off of that, that, you know, there, there's just, I can't say enough about having that sort of support system and we all need it. And, and so, you know, I'm so glad that, you know, to have what we have in Alabama and, and with USTA Southern and USPTA Southern, you know, I've, I've gotten to know, um, you know, everybody, it, it feels like a family reunion when we get together and, um, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun, but there's a lot of support there and a lot of sharing. Um, it's, it's, it's a special thing. It, it truly is. It is. I think that those relationships, you, you can really learn from other people and get different perspectives and that's how you grow. You just, you, you have to be open to some other ideas and seek them out and try to better yourself. Now you are um, you're presenting at the USPTA Southern Convention um, coming up in two weeks at the beautiful Atlanta Athletic Club. Um, I'm really looking forward to your presentation, and I really like um, this kind of relatively new edition. I think it started in last year's Southern Convention of the TED Talk style, the the shorter 20 minute talks um, that are interactive and. Um, and, and it, you know, couples with the, the more traditional lectures and things on court and in the classroom. But this edition, I, I think, is a really fabulous edition. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're presenting on. Well, we're excited about it. This is our first time within USPTA Southern to offer TED-style talks that <clears throat> will run about 15 minutes each. Mine is uh, on Rocket Tennis, which is a family-based, originally started out as a junior team tennis program, but has moved toward being more family-based and, you know, how we can get people right from the outset playing together. And I'm just very excited to share our successes with this program. And my hope is that people will, pros will take these ideas back home and start to get, uh, you know, people playing in a similar way. Now, I, I know that you are um, you know, obviously very, very involved with planning um, for this event as the first vice president. Um, 
So what what uh, presentations are, are you looking forward to or people that you're excited to see? I mean, I know, of course, it's, you know, everyone, <laughs> obviously, you know, no one's going to be left out here. But is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to? Well, Emilio Sanchez is mm. a headliner mm. along with Gigi Fernandez. Oh, and yeah. Yep. I'm particularly excited to see their presentations. But really, I think we've got a a great balance of presenters in terms of topics and and just what they'll be what they'll be covering. You know, Bob Love is a longtime master pro, uh, and he is going to be presenting things that he's learned from all his many years of teaching tennis. He's kind of condensed many of the most important lessons into you know a very you know short presentation for all the information that he has to share. So we just have a, a bunch of great presenters, and, and I'm excited to to be at the convention. Oh, me too. And um, last year we we played some pop tennis uh, for for the. It was the first time for me. Maybe it wasn't the first time for everyone. And we're gonna play some pop tennis again. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, how how do you feel about pop tennis? I think pop tennis is a an outstanding way to get people playing on smaller courts and maybe instead of playing pickleball. Uh, I like the fact that pop tennis uses the 60 foot lines and so we're not having to kind of navigate or negotiate with pickleball people with their, you know, their, their lines are a little bit different than the service lines and then they're not quite 60 feet. So it makes it a little bit easier in that way. Um, and the fact that using the paddles, we had a blast last year in Lafayette and I know that we're going to have a blast again. Oh, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. In fact, um, when I got home, I, um, you know, thanks to you for, for getting Peg Connor um, to the conference, I attended her presentation and also she, you know, uh, ran the, the pop tennis social that we had. And um, I, I got eight rackets and, and have been loaning them to people throughout the, the state of Alabama and um, we're just having a lot of fun with it. I mean, it's just, it, it is such a fun thing to do. And, and it's, it's funny how this has been an interesting thing for me, just as an aside, how, you know, if you want kids to maybe play some orange ball tennis, all of a sudden they kind of bow up and they're like, I play yellow ball, you know, <laughs> but if you put a paddle in their hand and tell them that it's just this fun game, all of a sudden you have these kids that, would would ne- would not necessarily be interested at all. Now they're like just going at it, just get you know playing as hard as they can and having a blast. And so I think there's so much so much has to do with perception and just the idea of of fun. I think you're right. They position a paddle sport as being something different than tennis. One thing that I've noticed in tennis as well, or in addition, is that. Um, like with cardio tennis, typically we'll use low compression balls and uh, I've been involved with other pros out there during a cardio tennis and no one has a problem with it, but most everyone out there is a really good player. It seems to be there's a certain middle level of player, like entry level players don't have a problem with you know the low compression balls, higher level players don't, but they sort of that middle level they do and it's uh <laughs> but yeah if you take it out of the context of tennis you put it into racket sports in general or you have it uh you know using paddles um i think that they, they're not comparing it to tennis and they're just willing to take it for what it is and enjoy it no i, I totally agree I, I think it's so so much fun um you know uh, i'm a huge fan of mike barrel and and one of the things that he talks about is how can you know instead of raging against um you know, playing video games, how can we make tennis more appealing like a video game? Like, you know, he, he speaks to, you know, you have three lives or whatever. So if you don't complete the level and you die, you get to, you get to start over, you still have another life and you can pick up where your level left off and you're still going. And, and I, I kind of love that analogy. And, and I think that, that sort of these other innovative ways of, of, getting into tennis, you know, you kind of speak to that and say, you know, it's not like, oh, you got, you, you double faulted, oh, you missed your return, oh, now you're just going to chase the ball and this isn't very much fun. So I think, I think, you know, all of these kinds of, of ways to get people playing um, reach that, that greater audience. I agree with that. I mean, I think that we, <clears throat> we definitely need to reach a greater audience. Some people don't have the ability necessarily to 
to cover the entire tennis court anymore. And so, you know, having other opportunities for them to get out there and play a racket sport, I think, um, you know, I think it could be very beneficial. I mean, pop tennis is really kind of the level where I am, the paddle, the smaller court. I don't have to serve over, I don't have to worry. This, it's like, it's, it's right up my alley at the moment. <laughs> it's, well, it's an equalizer. You take away, <laughs> well, you take away the overhand serve and it makes a big difference. I mean, I've, I've had conversations with older players who are, you know, men who are well over six feet tall. They don't move as well as they used to. And they've told me flat out, I mean, if they can serve overhand, they're going to win a lot of points mm-hmm. still, mm-hmm. even though they can't move so well. But when you have them serve underhand or playing something like pop tennis, then, uh, you know, it just makes it more uh, sort of equalizes it. I'm so glad you brought up that point because, you know, I've played, a, I've played, you know, obviously juniors in college, but, you know, played a lot of league tennis um, as an adult as well. And, you know, um, truthfully, mixed has never been something that I really enjoyed all that much um, just because I felt like I couldn't be all that effective against a big, um, a big serving male or, you know, intimidated at the net or whatever it might be. And, Playing pop tennis, which, I mean, I think it was just me and Caitlin and, you know, playing with all you guys, it was so much fun. So what you're saying is an equalizer, like an underhanded serve, I actually, that's some of the most fun I've had playing in a mixed situation where I wasn't just, you know, can I, can I make my return? You know, can I hit an effective enough serve where I don't just, you know, get this thing hit hit down my throat? You know, what I mean, so so I, that made it a much more enjoyable experience for me with a variety of other uh, uh, players of all levels. I think that, you know, the, certainly you have players who are stronger at say pop tennis than other players, sure. but by equalizing it, and most everybody's, I, mean, I don't know if they have, you know, high level pop tennis events, they probably do, but. It just makes it to where everybody can go out there and play doubles together and be reasonably close and level right from the outset, or at least close enough that they have an enjoyable experience. And that's not always the case when you have overhand serves with yellow balls and big, tall, strong players who are hitting the ball very, very hard. It it makes it harder to just have recreational players just pull them all together and have them enjoy the experience right away. Now, going back to, to kind of the idea of family tennis, and this, this idea just sort of popped into my head, but, you know, when, when I was uh, stringing rackets all the time, it wasn't that long ago, you know, there was always sort of a mad dash for people at the beginning of the summer that maybe they haven't played tennis all year, but they're going to go to their beach houses, and so they need to maybe restring that old racket that's been sitting in the garage, and, you know, because we might play some tennis at those courts down at the beach and whatever, you know, and, and, and I just just had this thought that you know wow you know you know the paddle you don't have to restring it (laughs) and and the paddle you know it's 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 one size it's kind of one size fits all and you're playing on the smaller court with you know an orange ball or you know maybe a green ball if that's what you know your 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 flavor but but I, I kind of like this idea of okay um, I don't have a whole lot of experience with resort tennis uh, maybe maybe one day but um, you know that that instead of restringing that ten year old racket to go play down at the beach maybe it's maybe it's uh, yeah, maybe it's, it's, it's something else. Maybe it's a paddle. <laughs> it could be a paddle. You're right. You don't have to worry, ever worry about restraining those. And you just take those out and, and hit with them. I think that we could do something similar with low compression balls and <clears throat> just getting them out together and playing I, I just and having that, that experience is the main thing. But yeah, a paddle could very well or paddles could very well fit into the mix. You know, Kevin, I think we just hit on something. Uh, maybe I should stop recording and we need to talk about this. But, you know, what if what if with family tennis, you know, something like pop tennis became a series down at the beach and families could get involved and start having socials at, at you know, I know Seaside has a club, you know, down in Seaside, Florida, the Panhandle, of course, being from Birmingham, 30A is uh, near and dear to my heart. But, um you know, what if, what if different areas like this and resorts could do pop tennis and it's a family event? 
I think it could be successful. One of the challenges with tennis is that, <clears throat> is again, the serve. I mean, it's not necessarily the issue of a player having a really, really strong serve, but it's having a serve at all. If a player has never played, had any instruction, often they, they're not very effective at getting the ball to go in the box. If it's an underhand serve, even if someone has never played before and they're using a paddle, they might very well have success, and uh, that could be a good entry uh, to racket sports and eventually to tennis. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm a big fan of ping pong, and um, I mean, it's almost like a, 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 bigger, a bigger version of ping pong in some ways. I mean, not, not exactly, but, but it's, it sure is a lot of fun. I know that. Um, now, Kevin, you are the first vice president of USPTA Southern, um, which means you've been on the board for a long time, and um, you've been instrumental in a, in a lot of the, the decisions and changes that have been made. What, what does um, the USPTA sort of mean to you? I, the USPTA has been a terrific organization. I've been a member since 1995, eventually became the, once it was in Alabama, I got involved with the state board and moved my way up as the president and so forth. So I've been involved for, for a number of years now. But USPTA, uh, I just love education and I love the fact that the USPTA is really about educating pros and trying to, you know, give them the tools that they need to give consumers the very best tennis experiences possible. And anything that I can do in my role uh, with USPTA to help with that, I just, I get a lot of gratification from being able to help. Oh, that is fantastic. And you've done so much to help. Um, so the the whole idea of continuing education has sort of been remodeled in the last few years, and USPTA has, has been on the forefront of of that remodel. Um, how do you feel about continuing education? Well, I, I believe it's vital. I think that, you know, if a pro or anyone really is doing the same job that they were doing, you know, 10 years ago and they haven't made any changes, then they're, they're behind. And you can learn a lot from other people. Really, one of the most valuable aspects of education has less to do really with the presentations themselves than with the networking. And when you have conversations with other people who are similarly situated, Mm -hmm. you go to a presentation and uh, between the presentations, you are able to talk to these other people, learn the sorts of things, the solutions that they've had to similar issues that you're facing. You just, you get a lot out of that. And, um, and then the presentations themselves have a, a tremendous amount of content. So it, that, that's how you grow. It's how you get better. But really, it's those relationships. Online education is terrific. I, you can go to YouTube and find some quality. There are some videos that probably aren't the highest quality in terms of the content, but many are very high quality. It, it's not simply about absorbing information. It's about the relationships that you develop in being involved, actively involved in your own education, helping others. You know, the one point that I'll make to pros is that, you know, they have a lot that they can share with others. I mean, there, there are pros that feel like they have enough knowledge themselves that maybe they won't pick up that many new ideas from attending presentations. And, and possibly that's true. If they've been in the industry a long time, they might only get one or two good ideas, which I think that would be enough to justify attending. But they themselves have great information if they've been in the industry for a while that they can share with other people, even, again, between presentations. It doesn't have to be that they're doing their own dedicated uh, presentations. So I I just think that so many pros have a lot to offer, and it's by, you know, really educating one another that we make the organization as strong as it is. Well, I I think that is so well said, so thank you for that, Kevin. You know, I know just just for me personally that you know I um, there's been a few few times that I've gone to these things and um, one in particular there, a few years ago the the USPTA World Conference was in New Orleans which is a favorite city of mine and I was really excited to to be there all the way around and um, yeah I'm a, a big fan of uh, Faisal uh, Hassan and. Um, he he was doing his specialty course and and I was there and 
um, he was asking for people to hit in. And I got to tell you, my, my first instinct in that situation is to like hide under my chair, you know, and not bring my racket so that I don't have to do it, <laughs> you know, but, but honestly, um, knowing myself and knowing that I'm a, a very visual and kind of kinesthetic learner, I said, you know, you know, kind of give yourself a pep talk and go, no, you need to, you know, get out there and do this because this is how you're going to remember it and this is how you're going to learn it. And, and I'm so glad that I did, but, but there, there's something to be said for, you know, A, just going, just, just by going to the conference you're already doing doing something to better yourself and your career, and then by getting involved, um, I think that that's that takes it to another level. And and you know, and then I got to talk to Faisal afterwards, and and we, you know, we we've we've stayed in touch and talk, you know, and so it goes back to the networking that you were talking about. And and for me, um, he actually helped my backhand volley. It's been better ever since then. But um, still needs work. But um, but you know it's it's just it's just getting out of the comfort zone. You know, meeting new people, talking about different ideas. You know, listening to what maybe someone else is doing that you're not doing. Um, you know, again, getting out of that comfort zone, going and being open minded, um, and and open to meeting new friends. I mean, I I I consider you know our USPTA Southern family. Um, family, I really do. I mean, you know, it's it's we we know each other. We we have a lot of fun together, and you know, talk about our families, and it's just there's there's so much to be said beyond just the membership and the certification. The relationships you develop from attending the workshops are priceless. I mean, the education is important as well, but those relationships really last with you for the rest of your working life, and you know, maybe you know, once you retire, even. And it's just, it's what makes the, you know, being, getting certified and, uh, you know, going to education so valuable. Um, the other thing is that when people attend these workshops, they often will say that they, and maybe they haven't attended a long time or, or ever, that they come away energized. They have picked up maybe a couple of ideas that they don't exactly want to apply the way that they were present, the ideas were presented, but that they, they're just excited to get back to work and, you know, try out a couple of different new things. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy when you're teaching day in and day out to get into a, a bit of a rut. And uh, by attending workshops, you get yourself, you energize yourself and you, you create a, a level of enthusiasm that maybe you haven't had in a little while. Oh, I, I, I can't say enough about that. I mean, every time I go and I'm around, uh, you know, like-minded people that are that are eager to learn, and you know, also scared to share, or maybe not scared to share. Maybe they're very, very confident sharing, you know. <laughs> but you know, to to be around industry leaders and and make those connections, and uh, you know, it's just invaluable. It truly is. Yeah. I agree. So, um, Kevin, is there any, any, any parting words, anything you want to say, say to our listeners um, before we sign off? I mean, again, we, we have the USPTA Southern Convention at Atlanta Athletic Club coming up um, in two weeks. Is it two weeks? A little yeah. bit less than yep. two weeks. Um, yeah. And, and again, you're also our, our service, our tennis service representative for Alabama through the USTA Southern. Um, Anything else? I would just say, yeah, for the coaches out there, share your love of tennis with others. You know, if you're enthusiastic, that's one of the most important things that you can do to give people that experience that they're going to remember, that positive experience, and they want to come back for more. And if you can get families playing tennis, especially entry-level ones, uh, I think that that's a recipe to, to build up your program. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for... for uh, this great conversation, and I look forward to having you on the line again. <laughs> Thanks a lot.